Welcome to Prima's 2017 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education and Training at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Kevin Osatnik will discuss school laboratory safety. Kevin is a risk control professional with over 13 years of experience. He began his career as a loss control consultant at a construction company where he was responsible for overseeing day-to-day job site safety as well as OSHA compliance and training. Kevin later moved on to work at a major insurance carrier, serving in various capacities as a senior loss control representative. He most recently worked as a loss control consultant at a Missouri-based insurance broker. Kevin is a graduate of the University of Central Missouri with a bachelor's degree in safety management. He is a certified safety professional, a certified OSHA outreach trainer for general industry, a registered loss control consultant in the state of Texas, and an approved field safety representative in the state of Arkansas. We will also be joined by Taekwon Gilbert, a member of Prima's education and training team. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. What are some of the basic principles of laboratory safety? Thank you for having me. I'll start off then with some of the basic principles. I would say that there's a fairly common acronym used within many of the education groups that we've worked with, and that's titled RAMP, R-A-M-P. And what that means is the R stands for recognize the hazard. A stands for assess the risk of the hazard. The M stands for minimize the risk of the hazard. And the P stands for prepare for emergencies from uncontrolled hazards. So what we're looking at with the recognize, the R letter, we want to have is that students should be able to recognize some of the common laboratory hazards. Um, They should hopefully be able to explain why there are, you know, um, why these objects, items, or tasks are hazardous, and some have some familiarity with hazard rating systems or methods, you know, like uh, maybe moderate hazards or or serious hazards. Um, The A portion for assess the risk of hazards. Here we want students to be able to assess the risk, you know, of specific hazards. So we've already recognized the hazard. Now it's time to assess the risk related to that hazard. This risk is, is probably it's probably of you know suffering injury or harm from exposure to, to some sort of hazards. Uh, having students that are able to determine these different types of, of relative uh, or related severity or specific hazards and a general estimate of the likelihood of the exposure under certain circumstances would always be great. So the M portion for minimize the risk of hazard. Uh, Here we're looking at ideally students would be able to identify the different ways in which the uh, the risk can actually be lowered. This may involve some appropriate engineering controls such as, you know, hoods, ventilation systems, maybe safety interlocks can also be achieved through administrative controls, which would be things like your procedures, your processes, or maybe even the training. And then, of course, the personal protective equipment or PPE to help reduce or mitigate the hazards. So students should be able should be aware of the common methods to minimize hazards as well as the limitations of those protective measures. So we need to remember that, you know, make sure that students are aware of the laboratory research has risks and that, you know, as long as we're careful planning and the preparation is taken care of, that we can, we can help to reduce those risks to an acceptable level. And then finally, the P, which is for prepare for emergencies from uncontrolled hazards. We're looking for students to be prepared for emergencies by being able to explain how to respond to common emergencies that could possibly occur in laboratories, you know, like like fires, chemical explosions, you know, cuts, chemical spills, for example. 
So we'd like students to be prepared to the extent that they're able to explain, you know, the selection and proper use of emergency equipment like your fire extinguishers or eye wash stations, maybe showers or spill kits, fire blankets or alarms and so on. The students need to be, be aware and know the importance of reporting laboratory incidents and the lessons that can be learned from the accident. So training, like walking to locations of emergency equipment and even considering, you know, what someone would do should something occur, but they need to know this before an actual incident or an emergency occurs. So oftentimes we'll, we'll make sure that we're fully prepared prior to getting into any of the, the daily experiments or what may be going on. So I think that probably covers, you know, the extent of the basic principles for laboratory safety. Can you give some examples of common mistakes and errors you've seen lead to accidents or injuries in school labs? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I'd say the most common deficiency or mistake that we'll typically see or hear about normally includes some sort of poor chemical labeling or storage, also some lacking emergency procedures or inadequate personal protective equipment, and then, of course, the misuse or non-use of safety equipment. I've actually heard some uh, pretty surprising and concerning instances related to teachers not using proper equipment or controls when performing class experiments or, or demonstrations, as well as students even going as far as taking their science projects out of the classroom, resulting in some sort of accidents or injuries. So, you know, th those types of accidents can get pretty scary. So we like to make sure that we, that we, that we take care of all of these different, you know, exposures and, and lack of knowledge prior to getting into some of these things. You know, the chemical, the chemical labeling can be really bad because anytime you start to get folks that, that are affected by chemicals, there could be long-term uh, results of these types of exposures. What would you consider to be the five most important lab safety components? I think I'd probably classify chemical hazard awareness as the number one component of lab safety. Chemical, the chemical hazard awareness is going to cover everything from the adequate storage of chemicals to the safe chemical handling and use you know, responding to a spill or an accident, and then, um, you know, other types of accidents, including hazardous chemicals, can get pretty serious in a hurry. So that's probably I would put as the number one. The remaining, you know, four probably fall in line. I'd say number two, knowing the location of safety equipment. So in the event that something does actually go wrong, the last thing you really want to have to deal with is not knowing where the necessary safety equipment or supplies are to minimize any type of damage or exposure. So it's probably going to be a good idea to check the safety equipment periodically, as well as making sure that, that it's in good working condition. This can be done, you know, maybe weekly, monthly, even quarterly. But knowing where the safety equipment is, should something happen, it is, is very critical. Another one, number three, I'd say, would be uh, dress appropriate for the lab. This may mean providing lab coats or even requiring students to have, you know, spare change of clothes that need to stay at school. I'd consider this rule to have high importance because, you know, your clothing is one of the best forms of protection in the event of an accident. Basics, you know, normally include for this type of clothing is, is probably going to include a lab coat or some sort of safety goggles when it comes to the appropriate dress. You may also need some gloves, hearing protection, or other items depending on the nature of the experiment. Number four, making sure that we leave the experiments in the lab or, or the classroom and we're not taking them home with us. This is very important from both the safety and, and the safety of others to lead the experiments at the lab. So we don't want, we want to make sure no one's taking anything home with them. Cause like I said earlier, I've heard some, a couple of horror stories of, of students maybe sneaking out science materials out of the classrooms or even forgetting that they've got them in their pockets, which has resulted in injury. So, 
You know, one injury that comes to mind was a student that took some chemicals home with him in his back pocket and didn't realize, uh, you know, he was sitting in a liquid or a wet substance of some sort, resulted in a chemical reaction. The student had a third-degree burn on his backside. So, you know, these are the types of things that can, that can go wrong and turn to an injury pretty quickly. The fifth and final thing I think I'd probably throw into the most important for, for lab safety would be proper lab waste disposal. Before we start any of our experiments, we should be making sure that we know what to do at the very end with any byproduct or waste. We don't want to leave the mess around for the next person to clean up. We need to make sure that it's being addressed uh, quickly and, and promptly. You know, our lab, knowing which lab chemicals are safe to dump down a drain, obviously we could have problems if we have a chemical that doesn't react well with water or something else that may already be in a drain. We also need to make sure we've got biological cultures. You know, is it safe to clean up with soap or water? Or do you need some sort of, you know, special chemical in order to, to disinfect or to handle these different types of uh, biological substances? Also, broken glass or needles, the proper protocol for disposing of sharps, you know, people getting cut or possibly contaminated in, in the course of being cut. I think that those would probably be, you know, the, the top five lab safety components that come to my mind. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here are some words from Prima's Member Services Manager, Danica Williams, regarding Prima membership benefits. Prima is a membership organization dedicated to advancing the knowledge and practice of risk management in the public sector. Prima members come from a diverse range of disciplines, entity types, sizes, and share a variety of titles, including risk manager, human resources professional, workers' compensation coordinator, employee benefits coordinator, claims administrator, safety personnel, risk pool administrator, just to name a few. Despite their titles, there is one resounding theme among these individuals, and that is that they manage risks within their entity and importantly, risks affecting the public interest. Prima members enjoy a robust array of educational programming, risk management resources, and networking opportunities. Some of Prima's member benefits include access to blogs, podcasts, webinars, Prima's job bank, Prima's online community where members have the ability to connect, share, and solicit information directly from their colleagues, Prima's library of risk management documents, Prima's flagship publication, The Public Risk Magazine, and member discounts to all Prima events and training. Becoming a Prima member is one of the most worthwhile career investments a risk management practitioner can make, not just for themselves, but for their entire entity. To learn more about Prima member resources, visit primacentral.org. How would you suggest informing students of the hazards related to school laboratories in a manner that they will retain or remember? My best recommendation when trying to get the students to actually comprehend the hazards would be to give them some sort of training and over or overviews of the basic hazards associated with the lab operations and the various chemicals, you know, at the beginning of the year and then regularly as it pertains to maybe the daily lab work or as needed. Oftentimes, I'd suggest a quick refresher or briefing before all lab experiments begin, just to remind everyone of the necessary emergency actions for the work that's going to be done, you know, that day, that week, or however long it's going to be going on. You know, I understand we're working with a lot of younger folks normally, and obviously these people uh, typically know everything, are invincible, 
you know, are wildly intelligent. So getting them to remember these things can be difficult. One of the things I've seen some people do, have the students sign uh, contracts of sort, which basically just says that, yes, I understand what the operations are, what the policies and procedures are, safety methods are, and so forth. And then maybe even use the beginning of, a, of each class or the beginning of uh, the half, half a class maybe before an actual experiment begins, if it's going to be a multiple day experiment, just going over some of the safety hazards, the controls, and then the different uh, emergency actions that can be taken. And then when it comes, boils down to it, I normally suggest, you know, a blended approach where there's maybe some training, more information that gets provided before each experiment or class, or maybe even at the beginning of this, of this semester. And then also blending in that training with some hands-on work so that you can show the students how to actually use the different types of um, safety equipment maybe as well, and then show them what can happen in the result of some of these different accidents. So I think that that would probably be, you know, some of the main key points that I would touch on for trying to get folks to retain or, or remember the different ways that the lab should be used or operated. What are some of the more common types of personal protective equipment used in school labs? Well, there's quite a few different types of, of PPE that maybe get used. When engineering controls alone can't eliminate these different hazards or reduce their effects to a safe level, we'll, we'll go to using the personal protective equipment. And this is basically going to provide barriers between teachers or students and, and the hazards. And there is a variety that may, may be required for the different types of tasks that are be going on. And, and some of the most common, I would say, obviously, most people would view the most common as being safety glasses or goggles. Obviously, these safety glasses or goggles would need the appropriate certification or safety rating. So we're thinking of the Z78, I believe it is. These safety goggles will be used normally to make sure that, that things aren't going to be splashing in people's eyes. Oftentimes, side shields may be used if goggles aren't, or you may have a, a safety glass lens that wraps around the side of your head maybe. That may be better. Gloves is another one that's pretty common. So these are going to be used when working with nearly every type of chemical. Remember that there are different types of gloves that will protect differently against all, all various types of hazards depending on the project or the different types of gloves may be needed. Um, there are numerous types of gloves available, ranging from latex to rubber to nitrile, or even butyl, I believe it is, pronounced gloves. So consult with the chemical label or the SDS form. Maybe check with a supervisor or, if needed, maybe even the, uh, the, the chemical vendor to make sure that the appropriate gloves are being worn. Face shields is also something else that's pretty common. These are typically going to be used when pouring, mixing, or stirring chemicals. You know, anything where you may have chemicals or uh, a hazardous liquid that may splash, we're going to probably want to consider a face shield. Something a lot of people don't think about when wearing face shields is that it's often, often recommended to wear your safety glasses at the same time that you're wearing the face shield. Some of the other areas, you know, other common types of PPE that might be lab coats, maybe plastic aprons or Tyvek suits could be necessary depending on, on whatever the operations are. Respiratory equipment, depending on how hazardous the different types of experiments may be going on. And then footwear. So footwear with the PPE, it may not necessarily be as far as going with maybe a rubber or a rubber shoe or a boot of some sort. Oftentimes, we're going to be talking about the PPE and footwear and just making sure that students or lab representatives are wearing closed, closed-toed shoes or full shoes so that we don't have exposed skin like you would on, say, a sandal or a flip-flop. I would say that those uh, that that's probably the most common types of personal protective equipment seen in labs. Are there any final tips or recommendations you would suggest to the folks listening to this podcast? 
Yeah, I think I've got a few different types of safety recommendations I would probably throw out. We'll start off with, you know, if, if chemicals or potentially hazardous supplies aren't needed, get them out of the classroom. You know, if we're not going to be using those throughout the entire year, or if it's something that you may not use until maybe the last, at the end of the year, maybe the final semester, then we can maybe consider those. But if they're really not needed, let's get them out of the room or maybe at least just get them locked up so that they can't be accessed easily. Another one I would say is know the chemicals and materials that are present and available. So that goes hand in hand with the first recommendation. But, but when you know what they have, make sure that they're being stored properly. You know, there are some different chemicals that will need to be segregated from the others, whether they're oxidizers or, or something like that. You know, there's different requirements when it comes to storing these types of things that they have to be segregated by a certain amount of spacing to ensure that there's not going to be some sort of hazardous reaction. Proper emergency procedures is always, is always a big recommendation of mine and making sure that those are known specific for the experiment or the project that's taking place that day. But again, making sure that we know what, these, what, the, what the procedures are before the class or the experiment actually begins. Making, the necessary, making sure that the necessary uh, equipment, emergency response equipment is available, even going beyond knowing what's available, but knowing that you've got enough of it. Okay, so what good is it gonna be knowing what the procedures are if you don't have enough of, say, a fire suppression agent to take care of a fire that occurs? All right, so we need to make sure that we've got a good inventory of these, of these emergency equipment or emergency tools. Another one I would say is the proper clothing or PPE is available and remains in use. I mentioned earlier with some of the key hazards I've seen, if there are safety controls available, making sure that they're being used. So if you've got some sort of, of shields or hoods or something like that available, make sure that we're using them for our experiments. I can remember multiple times when I was growing up that in my science classes where there were hoods and things like that available that didn't always be used when they could have. And then, of course, we'll get into the proper housekeeping or, or waste disposal. I just touched on that in the last question. And then also I would say doing your best to make sure that no chemicals, materials, or, or other experiments leave the classroom. Because, of course, I talked about earlier with that third-degree burn that I, we had with the one student was, uh, was just from taking home, you know, some of the chemical or some of the the tools that were used and they sat in some water where a reaction occurred, that's the last thing we want to have happen for folks or, or, uh, or any of our innocent bystanders that may be walking through the halls. So I think, I think those are probably the main things that I would think about as far as final tips and recommendations would go. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks so much, Kevin and Taekwon. Please visit the Prima website to listen to other Prima podcasts, join upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about additional Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Enjoy the rest of your day.